This is Neon Radio, episode 167, with founder of Aviator Nation, Paige Mykoski. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, my fellow Neonites? We are back with another episode of Neon Radio, and I am very excited about today's guest because I've known her for ah, probably 10 years. I have worked with her on the creative photography front, shot some of her campaigns for her brand, and it is none other than my friend Paige Mykoski. She's the founder, creative director of Aviator Nation, one of my absolute favorite clothing brands. You've probably seen me wear some of her stuff, some of their stuff on my Instagram, at Nick Onkin. They make some dope leisure bouge wear, as I like to call it. It's a, it's a luxury, kind of luxury um, type of Venice 70s inspired hoodies and sweatpants. They are some of the most comfortable stuff I've ever worn. Not to mention they do velour tracksuits now which I'm pretty obsessed with. And they actually photograph really amazing, super cool stuff. But Paige's story is amazing. She bootstrapped her business from the very beginning. And we talk all about her story, how she started sewing the clothes, sewing her first collection in her parents' house in Texas, and then hopped out to LA and just went door to door, went to these different stores and started uh, peddling and finding the art, the creative, the buyers for the, the clothes and hustled and hustled and hustled and hustled and built her empire. And now she owns her own, has our own factory in LA. She's got 13 stores across California, Colorado, now Hawaii, in a world uh, where retail is dying. But her visual, her visual vision for creativity, I love. I love collaborating with her on photo shoots. Uh, we see very similarly, which has made it such a fun time. Actually, by the time you're listening to this, we just came back from Hawaii, shooting uh, the next campaign out there. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you'll see some dope images from the North Shore, and uh, we talk about so many things how she built her brand, how she, things that she's gone through, how she's expanded, how she utilized her own money to build the brand as she went and then building her teams and all of that. So, so many great things. She hand paints her stores, the murals, everything. So she's just an all around amazing creative in general. And I'm excited to have her on. I've been trying to get her on for the last few years and we finally made it happen after we did a photo shoot for her for one of her campaigns back a couple of months ago in San Francisco. So with that, don't forget to join the Facebook group community over at neonlife.com slash community. If you want to check out the show notes here, you can go to neonradio.com slash EP167 and we'll link up everything that we talk about. And uh, yeah, you can take the uh, Neon Life quiz over at neonlife.com slash quiz. We'll serve you up some free content to help you out with your uh, creative journey. It's a quick 10-question quiz. So join the community, and I hope you enjoy this episode uh, with Miss Paige Mykoski. 
What is up, everyone? We've got Paige Mike Hosky here. She is the amazing founder of Aviator Nation, one of my favorite brands, favorite clothing brands ever, but probably also expanding into some other cool stuff. She does a lot of collaborations with other brands and music, all kinds of stuff. And I've been wanting to have her on the show for a long time. She's a creative supernova and I'm very excited to chat. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. I'm so stoked to be here. Yeah, we've been working together for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, just over 10 years, I think. Yeah, we just finished a photo shoot uh, a couple days ago in San Francisco and it was amazing. She creative directs everything. We work really well together and it's been super fun. So now we're diving in and I want to, let's, let's, you know, this, the story is coming out, the story of Aviator Nation and your story. So like, let's kind of, I want to like start with talking, uh, telling your story of how you started, you know, you were on the amazing race. And then from there you kind of tell us how you got started with Aviator Nation and how it's grown. Yeah. So basically I went to college in Arizona state and I did the amazing race and I actually came out to California for some stuff for the, for the race. And then also for an internship, I was working for shape magazine for a summer after my junior year of college. And I started, I I was at the beach a lot because shape magazine at the time was near Malibu. They were over in Calabasas. So I was staying with a friend in Malibu and I pretty much discovered Southern California and fell in love with surfing and spent the summer doing that internship and really just fell in love with Southern California and that whole area up there between Calabasas and Malibu is like mountains and trees and hiking and and I just realized that I wanted to be in California. And so uh, as soon as that internship was over, I packed up my bags and pretty much moved to L.A. and got a job. I was working for um, actually I was working for Survivor. I was casting because CBS was like, oh, like they we had I ma- made a lot of friends through the Amazing Race. So they gave me a job casting for Survivor. So I started doing that and I was also doing photography actually on the side and, you know, shooting weddings and whatever I could do to make money and get by and basically surfing with all my downtime. So anyway, I eventually I found myself working part time at a surf shop because I met some people in the surf world and really fell in love with the whole mom and pop shop kind of deal I was working at this place called ZJ Boarding House in Venice. It's still there. It's still an amazing surf shop. And I just loved, you know, the people I was working with and just the whole, I kind of fell in love with that retail world, but, you know, specifically the small mom and pop retail world. And while I was working there, you know, I was also just like on the weekend shopping at flea markets and thrift stores because I love to do that. And I just kind of realized my style was, you know, in California, it's kind of like anything goes. And, and I, I realized that I loved this kind of super soft t-shirts and hoodies and sweats and, and, you know, all the brands that we were selling in the surf shop and stuff. It's just like, none of it really felt like right for me. I just could never find something that I really loved. And, So, but, you know, shopping at thrift stores and flea markets, I would find stuff I love, but it was never the the right fit that I wanted. And it was always the softness that I love, but not exactly the right fit. 
And then I would see a shirt, you know, from like the 70s that would have the graphics I wanted, but then it wouldn't be soft enough or the right fit. And so finally, I just, you know, I, I bought a sewing machine and I was like, and I bought some dyes at an art store and I started learning how to make clothing. And it was really just for myself. I wanted certain things and, and I couldn't find them. And I was always really particular about the the comfort level of the clothes. And and then I started getting into, uh, I realized that I wanted to put certain designs on clothes, but I didn't really know how to screen print or anything like that. So I bought the sewing machine. I would cut out the design that I wanted, which a lot of times was like sunsets and mountains and stuff like that because I'm like super into nature. And I would sew those designs onto the clothes. And that's how the single needle technique became part of the brand because you know, a lot of what we do is we sew stripes and designs on top of clothing and that's called a single needle applique and it's all done by hand. And so that was kind of how that became became what we do because I didn't really know what I was doing and that just made sense to me to cut out what I wanted and just sew it on the shirt and um, stripes and stuff like that. I always loved rainbows. And so, you know, that was really what how it started is I started making clothes for myself and then wearing them around and people started asking me about them and Basically, uh, eventually I realized that, you know, I could turn this into an actual something I could do for a living. Wow. That's amazing. And you started, you, you bootstrapped the whole business. Right. Yeah. So from day one, I actually bought my first sewing machine with $200 that I got $100 from each of my grandparents for my birthday. And <laughs> so it's really funny that year is like I they they used to give me like a hundred dollars for my birthday and so I had 200 bucks and so I remember being like okay I need to find the best sewing machine I can get for 200 bucks and so that was really where it started and so I guess I kind of started on 200 bucks in a sewing machine and then a lot of the clothes in the beginning were made from stuff I had laying around like old t-shirts I would cut up and like turn into stuff and then eventually I'd go to I'd buy like some, you know, cheap fabrics and stuff that I could find just to mess around. And, but yeah, I mean, really started on no investments, no partners, nothing like that. I just kind of funded it with money that I was making, you know, working at a surf shop and doing a little photography on the side. So, wow. So, what I mean, tell me more about that that side of things. Like, how did you start selling, get it to the point where you started selling the clothes? Yeah. So once I started sewing clothes for myself, I realized that it was a major passion. It was like, I loved making stuff for myself and, but I realized pretty right away, pretty much right away that it was something that I was just wildly passionate about. And it was interesting because, you know, I, I loved photography and, and when I went to school, I went to journalism school and I loved writing. I did, I did a little freelance journalism and, those are things that I loved, but once I started making clothes, I, I was just like obsessed. I mean, I would stay up literally all night long making stuff because I wanted to get it right, you know, and and I was just, it was so obvious to me that, that, that I needed to be doing that, you know, and so I actually, I was at the end of a lease where I was living and the guy basically was about to sell the place I was living in, so I had to move out, and so I said, you know, I think that what I want to do is just go home to Texas where my parents were and just sew up a collection and then, you know, take it to boutique and try to sell it and see if like I can actually turn this into like a job. And so 
it worked out that I was being kind of kicked out of my apartment. So I moved home and literally, you know, I didn't really have any bills because I was living with my parents. So I just sewed like day and night for three months. And I sewed up like, you know, I kind of learned the craft and just dove in. And like every day I was just really developing patterns and everything. And so finally, I think it was about three months in, I had what I felt like was a solid little collection. And it was like a rack full of clothes. And and I said, okay, I'm going back to California. And and the thing is, there was a store called Fred Siegel, and um, it still exists. But in Santa Monica, there was a Fred Siegel. They have one in Hollywood too. But I knew that that store was like the spot. Like they always had the coolest up and coming designers. Yeah. And in the fashion world, you know, I just felt like if I could get into Fred Siegel, then every everybody else would follow because that was kind of the way it was in L.A. is like Fred Siegel always had the coolest stuff. And and so my goal was to go there first. And and basically, if I could get the buyer to take it or to to carry it, then the other stores would follow. And so so I sewed up this collection in Texas, moved back to L.A., And basically, you know, went over to Fred Siegel. I had no idea what I was doing. I went over to Fred Siegel. I had some photographs that I'd taken of the clothes. I was, of course, wearing the clothes. And I walked in (laughs) to the store that I thought it should be in. And I just said, hey, you know, I live in Venice. I made these clothes. They're amazing. They're super soft. They're, you know, everyone's stopping me at trying to buy them from me because, like, you know, I was wearing them around town, you know, and, and people were stopping me. And so... So I said, you know, I, I really think you guys should carry it. Like, y'all have all the, the best stuff. Like, I'm local. I'm making this in California. This is a good story. And so anyway, the girl working there, of course, was like, uh, well, the buyer's not here. And <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, I think she was probably like, uh, people don't just walk out on, off the street, like, try to get their clothes in here. Like, they're carrying, like, you know, all the rad designers. And so I said, okay, totally. And I left some photos of, of what the clothes were. And I left, you know, my phone number. And anyway, I walked out and I was in the parking lot, like starting my car, my phone rang. And it was Fred Siegel, it was the, the buyer. And she, <laughs> no way. Yeah. And she's like, hey, she's like, so I just saw you. Like, I loved what you were wearing. And I, I love the photos of your clothes. I would love to meet with you. When can you meet? And I was like, how about tomorrow? <laughs> and um, she's like, sure. So the next day, sure enough, I went back to Fred Siegel. I had a legitimate meeting with the buyer. I rolled the rack in of all the clothes. And she went through and just like picked out like almost everything on the rack. She placed (laughs) an $8,000 order with me, which even today is a pretty good order for a wholesale account. She basically wanted everything. And um, yeah. And so she was like, okay, how soon can I get it? And I just like threw out like three months and, you know, because I was like, just kind of off the cuff. (laughs) And she's like, perfect. Sounds good. I'll see you in three months. And so I had this like huge order and I knew I had, and I was making, you know, I was going to go home and make the clothes. So, you know, I knew I had three months to make it. So on my way home, I'm like, there's this other store called Planet Blue on Main Street in Venice or Santa Monica area, right on the border there. And it's also a really good store. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to try to get it in there too. So like literally on the way home from my Fred Siegel meeting, I walked into Planet Blue and I was like, hey, I was like, I make clothes. Fred Siegel just picked it up, you know, like you guys are going to want to have it because you're going to miss out, you know, and I kind of like use that as like, you know, if you want to be the first to have it, like this is, this is going to be hot, you know, (laughs) because I had all this confidence, like rolling out of Fred Siegel. 
and there and and luckily the buyer was actually there and I and and he was like hey bring it in is it in your car and I'm like yeah he's like bring it in I want to look at it and so I brought it in and he was actually the men's buyer for Planet Blue and he and the line was unisex and so I'd sold the women's kind of like women's sizes and stuff to Fred Siegel and then he wanted it all for the men for so anyway it was great because now I had a, a great store carrying the women's sizes and yeah. a great store carrying the men's sizes so I was stoked I mean he carried he ordered a huge order too I think his order was around like 5 grand or so Amazing. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, there's one more store that I liked and that store doesn't exist anymore, but they were over on Montana street in Santa Monica. And I went over there and sold same deal. I sold it to them. And so I had three stores that place really good orders. I think I was up to about at that point, about 20 grand in orders. So I went to Wells Fargo and I said, Hey, I said, I just made, I just made these clothes. I just sold to like two, three of the top boutiques in, in LA I had these purchase orders like in my hands for 20 grand. I was like, can I get a small business credit line to make these clothes? And they gave it to me. They wow. ga- yeah, they gave me a credit line for $8,000. So I had $8,000 to go out and buy fabric and dye wow. and all this stuff. And that was it. <laughs> then I spent the next three months sewing up the clothes. By hand yourself. By hand myself. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, wow. so um, it's it's funny how it all happened in like a few days. And yeah. all of a sudden I had a brand, you know, and I was like, and I didn't sell it to anybody else because I, you know, those were good stores and I didn't want to like over promise and under deliver. And yeah. obviously I was the first time I'd ever was making clothes for other people. So I wanted to give myself enough time. But yeah, so for three months, I literally <laughs> sewed my butt off. That's amazing. Yeah. Smart artist too. You don't, you, uh, you uh, don't over promise and under deliver. Exactly. Like so many artists do, which is frustrating. It is. And, and, you know, the thing is, if you screw up with somebody one time, it's it's unlikely that they're going to give you another chance, you know, yeah. especially for a while. And a store like Fred Siegel, I mean, you kind of get that shot, you know, and so that was my big <laughs> shot. So I couldn't I couldn't screw it up. So I pretty much canceled any social plans I had for three months. And I really did. I turned my living room into a little production studio and, <laughs> and went amazing. to work. Yeah. So you you just when you were at your parents, that's when you learned to sew. You just picked up a sew- that sewing machine and yeah so figured it out. I literally ordered books like I had I think it was like three or four books of different like pattern making sewing techniques like you know all of it and I just taught myself wow. how to do it just reading books yeah I find it interesting you know I mean you have like I think when you have a, a vision and you're creative you can put your hands in so many different mediums and it all kind of turns out, I mean, you're creative directing the photo shoots, you're making the clothes, you're painting and creating the stores, you're doing all these different things and it's amazing. But it's like you have a vision and you just take that vision and make whatever you want with it. Yeah. I mean, the vision is, is so powerful. You know, I feel like, you know, it's hard for me to sleep a lot because I have so many ideas and I have this vision and luckily it keeps going, you know, and it's like I get something in my head that I want to do and then I just like have to do it. You know, I have to make it a reality. And and I realized, you know, over the years that you can pretty much do anything. I mean, you can literally make anything you want. You can yeah. do anything. And and so I have that power 
that I've, I've done that and it's over time, like it's grown. So like, you know, even if I like come up with some wild idea for a product, like the outerwear that we're making now is, is so incredible. And it's like, you know, anything can be, can be figured out at the end of the day, you know? And, and so, yeah, like I'll get something in my head and like with the photo shoot we just did, it was like, I really wanted, you know, some badass shots on a seaplane. And, and so I found a seaplane and like somehow we figured it out. And it's just like, you know, I mean, when I get something in my head, I have to make it happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So what did your, you know, what did your parents teach you growing up? Like, it seems like you had a really good upbringing. Your parents taught you a lot of values that you apply to your life today. Yeah, I think that a couple things that are really key that my parents taught me. I definitely learned from my dad. The details are super important. I remember one day I was I was washing a car with him, and he was like, "Do you think you're finished?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he was like, "Oh no, you're not finished." And he showed me like all the parts of the car that were still dirty, and you know, like you open the door and like the dirty parts on the inside of the door, and like just different things and. And I think that just he was so detailed and it really, you know, taught me to really be on the details. And I think that it's something that's in me. But I also think, you know, seeing him like, you know, really be on the details and such a perfectionist. And I think that's a really good thing. I think that the details definitely make me really good at what I do. And especially in clothing, there's so many details involved Mm. and and I'm I'm a little bit crazy about that, but I think it makes a difference. I mean, like for instance, like the garments feel really soft. I mean, still to this day, I turn down washes all the time, you know. And I mean, this morning I was approving some prints, some screen prints, and I just was like, the red is just not right. Like, you know, like try hitting it twice and reducing the base color down. And I mean, we're always tweaking things and, and it's like, I, I have this vision and, and it's like, it has to be a certain softness. It has to be a certain color. And, and honestly, like I would rather miss a delivery than put something out there that I don't feel is perfect. Mm-hmm. And I do that all the time. And that's why a lot of our products take a while to develop. And I mean, people don't know that don't see what's happening, but like our, our jackets and stuff took, you know, about two and a half years to develop. Our velvet stuff took about two years to develop. You know, I do a lot of testing and stuff like that. So anyway, the details are really important. Another thing I learned from my parents was just that hard work is so critical. And, you know, I think that I have that in me. I'm definitely a worker. Like I'm, when I was a little girl, I wanted to go with with my dad to work and I would like file his papers and organize (laughs) his desk and, you know, like I was always super into doing stuff. I never wanted to just sit around. And, but I think that, that seeing my parents, you know, both of them are not lazy people, you know, they're, they're always doing stuff. They're always working. My mom wrote a few cookbooks and, um, and she was very driven and I saw her do that. And my dad, you know, he was a doctor and he like, you know, he had his own group and he basically was working so hard and, Mm. and, you know, just like seeing your parents work really hard. And also like when I was playing sports as a young girl, my dad would always teach me like, you know, the more you practice, the better you're going to be. And you can be amazing, but you have to practice, you Mm. know? And so like, I think that was a big part of it too, is just like, 
practicing and the hard work and all of that, because I'll tell you, it's not easy. I mean, the fashion world is not easy at all. You have to come out with a new collection every three months. It's constant, you know, and it's, there's so many moving parts. And if you aren't the kind of person that wants to work your ass off, there is no way you will survive. And, and I'm luckily that kind of person where I enjoy it. Like Mm -hmm. I love working hard And I love like just busting my butt and then being exhausted the next day. (laughs) But it is, it's, it's, it's very competitive and it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of detail. And I think that those are key things that I learned growing up. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. So where did the name Aviator Nation come from? Yeah. So I grew up, my favorite movie of all time was Top Gun. And, um, it's, yes, I love Top Gun. I was obsessed. Like I watched it over and over again. I had the movie poster in my, in my bedroom and there was just something about that, you know, the style of, of what was happening in that movie. And a big, a big consistent part of the style was their aviator sunglasses. Yeah. And so, um, I always felt like aviator sunglasses were super rad and, and I think that from that movie, I kind of developed this love of that aviator sunglasses and that kind of classic California style that was just kind of effortless. And and I feel like no matter what you're wearing or who you are, if you pair, if you put on a pair of aviator sunglasses, you instantly look cool, you know. <laughs> and it's like so I I kind of like have always loved aviator shades and I grew up collecting them. And I was sitting in my room trying to figure out what I was going to name the clothes. And and I had like all these aviator sunglasses like on a shelf in like different colors and stuff. And I was just thinking, you know, I really love aviators. And I feel like in a photo shoot, it would be rad to have people wearing aviators and my clothes. And that was that would just really give it the style that that is in my head. And and so then I started thinking, okay, I like the word aviator. I like that. And then I was like, you know, I really want this brand to bring people together and to do something more than just be clothes on someone's back, you know, and, and I wanted it to get attention. And, and because I feel like when people get attention for what they wear, like it's a positive experience. And so that's where nation kind of came in is like, it's like this group of people that, you know, like are brought together by these clothes, but they're all kind of you know, it's like this good energy and, and the aviator word just kind of came from the sunglasses. And so I was like, I like aviator nation. I was like, that sounds good. And I love it. Yeah. So that, <laughs> so that was it. That's great. I love it. And it's funny, you know, we were talking about this the other, the, the labels that are in the, in the jackets and, and on the sweatshirts too, are pretty yeah. much everything that talk about how when you walk down the street, like, you feel extra special. I don't remember like off like word for word, but it really is so true. I mean, I wear, when I, I wear the, I wear your your clothes all the time and like, everybody's always like, Oh my God, that's such a dope jacket. It's so iconic. It's so recognizable. And even on Instagram, everybody's like, Oh, what brand is that? That's so dope. And so it's really cool. And you really brought that, but I think it's funny that you've put those in that, that, um, in the, inside the clothes. Yeah. I mean, I wrote, I remember writing. The thing is I wanted the tag to, I've always wanted to kind of like share, you know, my thoughts and, and I've had this like confidence about the clothes from the beginning because when I was making them for myself, people literally walked up to me out of nowhere and were like, what are you wearing? (laughs) And so like, since that happened, I realized that the clothes got attention and my style was kind of bold and the colors were bold and people really kind of came out of nowhere. And so when I was 
turning it into a brand I was going to sell, I was like, I want to tell people about that. So in the in the label, it, it does say, you know, when you're wearing these clothes, people will come out of nowhere and want to know who you are. And <laughs> and um, and so anyway, it's this kind of like I was basically just telling them what was going to happen because it had happened to me. And sure enough, like so many of my customers have told me what you're saying and that they wear the clothes and people come out and they want to, they're like, who are you? What are you wearing? Like, what is this? <laughs> because it really, the clothes stand out, you know, and it's very obvious and they're bold and we use a lot of bold colors and bold graphics and stuff. And, and I think it's such a cool thing that people see that tag and they probably laugh about it when they buy the shirt and then they wear it and it happens. And and it ultimately brings people together and people, it starts a conversation because, and I know this because I've, I've worn the clothes many times and people have walked up to me and been like, what is that? And then you tell them and then they're like, oh my God, that's so cool. And then like you say, it's made in California. And so anyway, um, it's funny because I've experienced it on both ends and, and I've seen how it, it creates this kind of vibe and this community where people are kind of brought together by it. That's yeah, it's amazing. It's it's very iconic everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, people love it. So let's jump back a little bit to after you. So you got those the the orders from those that you, you produced those orders. And then how did you start growing the company from there? Yeah. So after I made my first delivery to those boutiques, I, you know, basically a week went by and it was one weekend went by and I got calls immediately from all of the stores that the stuff was selling like hotcakes and they needed more of it. And they were like, we want to place an immediate reorder. And it, I was like, oh, wow, like this is crazy. <laughs> like they've had it for like six days and they need more of it already. So I realized right away that the clothes were going to sell and that it was going to do well yeah. um, just because all of those stores were doing good and literally sold out of stuff already, like from the first weekend of having it on the shelves. And so I immediately, I knew that clothes were made in LA, you know, I, I knew that was a thing. And so I went downtown and I literally went door to door. Like I looked up where the fashion district was <laughs> and I started walking in factories and knocking on doors and talking to people. And I took a couple of my garments with me and I was like, look, I need help. Like I'm making these clothes myself, but I need people to help me. Do you have any sewers that I can hire? You know, whatever. And I, that was a process of like several days. A lot of people didn't want to make the clothes because it was too complicated. A lot of clothes in LA are mostly denim and t-shirts, screen printed t-shirts and people, you know, making t-shirts is easy, but making a, you know, hoodie that, that like is super comfortable and super soft. And then it has all this stitch work stuff going on and the label and the embroidery and then all the detail and the single needle stuff. I mean, nobody wanted to touch it. And I took, of course, like some of the more complicated garments because that was really what I was doing mostly in the beginning. Like this, the the hoodie with the stripes inside the hood was the first hoodie that I ever sold. And it was also still to this day, one of the most difficult ones to make. And I mean, yeah. I, so I took that hoodie around. No one wanted to do that, you know, like sew all these stripes together and then sew it inside the lining of the hood and you know, it was like an art project. And so finally, <laughs> I found the shop that did someone was like, you know, go to this guy, he does a lot of detail work, he makes stuff for like, costumes and whatever. And basically, eventually, I found someone that was interested in it. And I just said, you know, like, I can pay you whatever, I just have to figure out how to do this and get people to make it. And so I paid good money for it. I mean, it was 
not cheap at all. And I mean, you know, a lot of people spend three or four dollars making a T-shirt. I mean, our garments, you know, cost twenty five to forty five dollars to make a piece. Wow. And so and that's why they're expensive, you know. And so um, but basically I just said, hey, like, I know this is complicated. I know it's different than what you do here, but. I will teach you how to do it because I know how to do it because I've been doing it. Mm. I can teach your sewers how to do it. And that's what I did. I sat down and I taught their team how to make the clothes. And then, and they had a lot of respect for me because of that. You know, a lot of designers come in and, and they want to make something, but they don't even know how to make it themselves, you know? And so when you know how to do it and you're like, you can tell them like the tension and the thread and the, the way the needle, you know, what kind of needles should be used. Oh, wow. and, I think they have a whole nother respect for what you're doing. And then they're like, okay, like this isn't just a typical designer throwing down a garment that they bought in a store that they want to make. You know, it's like this person actually knows how to make the clothes. And so I taught the team how to do it. And I, I got a, a group of people excited about it and I paid them a lot of money. And eventually I had a, a good little factory that was making my clothes. And, and so that's basically how I started to refill those orders. And then the big thing that I did that really kind of got me going was I decided I was going to do a trade show. Somebody told me that Project Trade Show was a really good one. That was in Vegas when magic happens. It's mostly men's, but it's um, it, it's also women's too. And it's it's really just kind of like a super kind of high end, you know, like they're real picky about who they put in there and um, or who they accept into their trade show. And so I thought that sounded like a good one. And I saved up some money. I think it was like seven or eight grand to do that trade show. So it was a big chunk of change. But I went and I put up my collection and that I basically sold about $150,000 worth of orders wow. in a few days. And it was crazy. It was like, you know, at that time, that was, uh, God, that was like 2008, I guess. And so at that time, nobody was doing anything that was like surf inspired and that had that look. And I mean, now obviously, you know, a lot of people have done things that are similar to what I'm doing, but nobody, I mean, it stood out. It was like, you know, black, gray, like super simple, like the fashion was just totally different, you know, and you got to my booth and it was like a blast of color, <laughs> all these rainbows, like people were just like, whoa, what is this? Like it wasn't being done. And, and, you know, I did have some graphics that were like surfers and stuff and surf was totally dead at that point other than like you know like the rip girl and the roxy and stuff like that which is a whole different market you know yeah. and and i was going more for the high fashion market because the clothes were expensive to make and and even with all the detail work it was still another level of unique you know it was this kind of surf inspired brand but it also had this detail work that yeah. people were like really impressed by like the stuff that looked like super hand done so Anyway, I sold I sold all over the world at that trade show. A lot of uh, stores in Japan ordered it. Yeah, the Asian market really loved it. It was people from Australia ordered it. I mean, it, immediately I became a global brand and I had $150,000 worth of orders. Wow. So that was when it really <laughs> when it really started and and I did project trade show every year and um, that's where I met a lot of press happened there too. GQ discovered me there and, and they started really supporting the brand. And I've been in GQ, you know, probably 20 times and yeah. all kinds of articles and stuff were written um, after people came and saw me at that show. That's dope. Yeah, I saw the one um, with The Rock. 
We oh yeah, we was wearing the tank top. I yeah, was like, Sick. yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I love the Rock. I'm like a huge fan, and and I, that rock and roll graphic that I do, like I think he saw that and loved it, and that whole spread they did with that was so awesome. It was fun to see it being used. The guys at GQ and Jim Moore, the creative director over there, has just always been a huge supporter of the brand. And, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's nice to have that. That's so great. I love that. And so when did you start, when did you go move into uh, doing stores and retail? Yeah. So I was basically running the company kind of out of my apartment all through pretty much from 2006 up to it, it was about 2009. And I realized that I needed to get out of my apartment. I had a couple interns. I had a couple employees and we were all literally, I had a, I mean, I had a basically a studio apartment with a loft. And so we were all sitting around in my apartment (laughs) and I was thinking, you know, I think it's time for us to start looking for some space, like an office or something. I just had to get, you know, at that point. And so I started looking around for office space and office and I was living in Venice. And, um, even though Venice was much smaller than it was still pretty expensive to get an office space. So I started looking and, and I always loved Abbott Kinney because they were like my favorite little cafes and, I lived like two blocks from Abbott Kinney. So I was always on Abbott Kinney and I just love that street. And so I was looking around and I was thinking, you know, like if I could find a spot where I could sell the clothes, it would pay for the office, you know? And so I was like, maybe I could have like a little store in the front and an office in the back. And the money that was made from selling the clothes in the front would pay for the office in the back and that would be a wash. And so that was the reason that I like kind of got drawn to Abbott Kinney was because it was a couple blocks I could walk to work. And, and so I was walking down the street and there was this guy that had like an art gallery and and I walked in and he had like this kind of shed in the back and I was like, this is perfect. It had a patio and a little shed in the back where I was thinking, you know, we could have our office here and sell clothes in the front. And anyway, it wasn't for lease or anything. And I just told the guy, the art guy, he was actually living in the back and doing his artwork in the front. And, um, and I just said, Hey, I said, if you ever leave here, you know, I would really love to take over your lease. And, you know, I just believe that putting things out there is, is the way to go. Like the universe for me, like has been so amazing that if I kind of put something out there that I want a lot of times it happens. Yeah. And and that was, so basically I put it out there. I told him, I gave him my phone number. And like the next day, you know, he called me and he's like, hey, I've been wanting to travel. You know, I think I'm going to let you take over my lease. The next and day. The next day. Wow. And, um, and so anyway, that that's what is our Abbott Kinney store now. But basically I, I was like, sure. So, so I did, again, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, like I'm selling to some wholesale accounts and, but I don't know what, what it's like to have a brick and mortar retail store, you know? So, so I basically just started taking all of my personal stuff and putting it like in the store to decorate it, like my skateboards <laughs> and my vinyl collection. I hung on the wall. I was like, this will be cool on a wall. I like put up all my records. I basically used like random furniture that I would find at flea. I went to a flea market, bought some old furniture. I mean, I, I built the store on no money. I, you know, paint costs very little. And so I started realizing that painting the walls was a cool way to decorate the store. So a lot of the walls in Abbott Kinney are painted and with like cool stripes and stuff, because that was an easy way for me to make the store cool on like you know, a bucket of paint costs 20 bucks, you know? So, (laughs) but yeah, so I painted the walls. I brought in my skateboards, hung them up, hung up some guitars that I had collected, like little vintage stuff. And, 
And um, pretty soon I had a store and I put out some t-shirts and I opened that store December 2009. And I told all my friends and, you know, word spread super fast and that store became busy pretty quick. And, 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 you know, we, we still have that store and obviously Abbott Kinney has grown so much, but that was the beginning of, of the stores. And when I, when the store opened and, and I would come to work every day and, and I would have customers walk in and I could see them buying the clothes and I could see them trying on the clothes. And I would obviously work on the floor a little bit to kind of like meet the customers and, I realized that that was like a perfect way to learn what I was doing right and not right. And mm. it was amazing. It was like this, um, this kind of eye opening deal that I was like, okay, first of all, it's really fun because now I have a little bit bigger team. I had a few girls working in the front, you know, and, and I was like, this is cool. My team is a little bit bigger, which I love, you know, and I'm able to meet the customers and see what they like and see what, how the stuff fits mm. on people and immediately it was like, this is, this is where it's at, you know, like having this retail store is, is, is really helping me understand, you know, where to take the clothes. And also it's just a fun experience, you know, and having people come in that like bought a shirt and then come back the next day and be like, oh my God, like, I love this. I can't stop wearing it. I need more, <laughs> you know, it's positive. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so it just built me up, you know, and, and it was super fun. And then I have this, so like I have this obsession with music and and I decided to build a stage in the patio because I wanted friends that were musicians to have a place to play. And I kind of made the store like my little like hangout zone. Also, I put a ping pong table up and a stage and my friends would come over and play music and we'd play ping pong. And and so it was it was an experience for me. And it was like a place to hang out. And it was where all my friends wanted to hang out. Nobody wanted to go to bars anymore. They just wanted to pick <laughs> up a case of beer and come over to the store and hang out. Yeah. And so it became this like hangout. I mean, so I met so many friends that I still have today that would come over and just hang out at the store. And I just I fell in love with that whole that whole situation, you know, and so now, obviously, I have more, but that was really the beginning of the stores for me. Yeah, that's amazing. So what kinds of things did you learn that weren't going right that you were able to correct? Yeah, so I learned that I definitely, like the hoodies should be unisex because a lot of times the men would buy the colors that I thought the women's women would buy and the women would want the stuff the men would buy. So making it unisex just made more sense, you mm. know? Um, so that was, that was key. I learned it fits with the sweatpants, you know, sometimes I, I learned that like a lot of my customers had long arms, you know, or they were tall or whatever. So I wanted the sweatpants to be long enough for them. And so like a lot of our stuff has long sleeves and longer legs and, you know, and I wanted it to be, I wanted it to fit everybody. So I started making double XL, a lot of like athletes and, you know, really big guys like would love, they love my stuff because mm. it's super comfortable and they travel a lot and whatever. And so I started doing the double XL and, and so that would cater to them. And, you know, I learned what styles were super popular. I learned that people really love the stitch work. Mm. That was something that was super unique. And so I focused a lot more on that stuff r rather than the screen prints. I mean, we, we always have a little bit of t-shirts and stuff and the logo tee is actually like the one people love the most, which is interesting because that's like so simple. Yeah. But yeah, the stitch work stuff is what's most popular. So I learned that you know, it's, it's still to this day, we learn so much from the customer. Right now, people are really into sets. 
they want the whole set, the pants and the hoodie that match. And so, you know, before I was, it was just kind of like every piece was a piece, you know, and now it's, it's really specific that the sets go together. Mm. I'll even find a lot of couples that want stuff that goes together. So now I make sure to make men's pants and women's pants in the same styles so that like the whole family can match because they love that, you know, (laughs) and even the kids stuff, like it matches the adults. So, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. So now, then you like now you have t- ten stores and a few more on the way. So what, like, what caused you to keep expanding in retail? Because obviously now in a time where retail is dying, people are closing their stores. You're building more stores, right? So you know, going around and and visiting my wholesale accounts, you know, I realized that you know when when they have a, a table of my garments, you know, it's cool and people people like it and they discover it there and it's super important. But I was like, you know, it, you're not really seeing the whole vision, the whole brand, you know. And, and I feel like when you walk into the Abbott Kinney store, that was my first store, you know, when you walked into that store, people got the whole experience, you know. And and so I, I I've always. Uh, since I opened the Abbott Kinney store, thought that people really, it was cool for them to be able to walk into the brand, you know? And, and so, you know, because the garments, you know, are a little more expensive than your average hoodie. And when you see it on a table next to other hoodies, it's just like, okay, like, yeah, it's softer. And when they try it on, they, they fall in love with it. But when you walk into the store and you like really get a feel for the whole brand, you fall in love with the brand, you know? And, Another thing about the brand is the people that are behind the brand. And so the people working in the stores are so important to me because they can talk about the brand. And they, a lot of times the people I hire are always the people I hire are people that I feel, you know, are the brand. And so it's like that whole experience that people have when they come in the store and they really are walking into the brand and they meet people and they hear about it and stuff to me was just so important, you know, and, um, and I, I, I saw that happening in Venice and I, and I opened another store about a year and a half after that in Malibu or in Manhattan beach, actually, sorry, Manhattan beach and and then Malibu. And I saw that basically people were becoming huge fans of the brand, not just from the clothes, but from really learning about the company and the story and seeing the authenticity of it too, because, you know, when you come into the store and you and you see a, a concert on our stage, which all the stores have stages, you know, you like realize it's not just a, a brand. It's not just clothes. You know, this is like a group of people doing something cool. This is a lifestyle. These are, you know, this is a place you want to hang out. All of those feelings, you know, it's it's an emotional experience. You know, it really, I believe yeah. that it is. And, you know, people come over and they're like, they want to hang out in the store, you know, and then they they love the brand, you know, and, and maybe sometimes they just come over to play ping pong, but, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Like, it's like, that's part of it too, is like, we're giving people more than just great clothes. We're giving people this experience, this place that they can come and listen to music or play a game of ping pong yeah. or talk to their kids about the vinyl on the wall because it's what they had growing up. You know, it's like there's so many cool things happening in the stores. And and so that was like kind of the reason where the stores kind of started to grow. And then now, 13 years later, it's really a personal passion. I love creating art. And ever since I was young, you know, I've been painting and and doing different forms of art. And the store now gives me a way to personally like, express myself through art. Like I've now gotten really into designing these murals 
and painting these murals. So it's kind of like there's a lot of reasons I'm doing the stores, but part of it is just a a cool thing for me personally that I get to kind of create, you know, this like this new space, you know, it's Mm. like a big canvas for me. So it's kind of awesome because it builds me up and it's also cool for my customers to have the brand like coming into their community. Yeah, I love that. That's exciting. And I mean, you've done such a great job with it too. And like even the Aspen store, I was there, I think it was like a year and a half ago. Yeah. No, actually, yeah, it was last year. And it's so dope. I mean, you have like the custom pool table, like Aviator Nation pool table upstairs and like the whole vibe is so cozy and yeah. It's yeah, it's like vibes. You just like want to hang out there. And uh, yeah, it's such a great experience. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's just a cool and it's also cool to celebrate, you know, that time period of our past that was so special and and definitely inspiring to me. A lot of like I find a lot of really rare like posters and stuff and I put them in my stores and I think it's kind of cool to celebrate like a pastime also. Um, And the stores gives me a way to do that. It's like, you know, I have, I have this obsession with vintage stuff, furniture, posters, skateboards, guitars. And, and so, you know, these things are just like getting dust in people's garages and I'm able to bring them in and put them in these stores. And people are like, Whoa, check out that (laughs) guitar. Like, Whoa, what is that? What is that ad campaign for those boots? Like I have these awesome ski boot ad campaign posters in my Aspen store and I believe it inspires people, you know, I've been told it does. And so it's cool to like kind of bring in some things from the past and, and inspire people and, and show them a different time period too. Yeah. I mean that nostalgia just hooks you, right? Right. (laughs) It does. It's It's cool. It's, It's such a cool time period that I don't ever want to get lost, you know, like the seventies, obviously sixties, seventies. And like, I would say early eighties, you know, is just like so rad to me, you know, and the music is a huge part of that. And just like the creative energy and the art that existed then. And, you know, so I want that to kind of live on forever. And so the stores is a way for me to do that. It's like, I create a little bit of a gallery for people mm-hmm. where they're able to like enjoy that. And we play vinyl in all our stores and now vinyl has kind of become this cool thing. But, you know, when I started opening stores 10 years ago, nobody was doing vinyl. So at that time it was cool. People were like, what is this? You know, my employees were like, what is this? They didn't even know what vinyl was. And yeah. You know, so like it's cool to to show people a different form of music too, yeah. which you know now obviously <laughs> is around, but it's cool, you know, to just kind of show people something different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, now I want to dive into a little bit of you as a creative personally. You talk about the universe, like, and that kind of thing. Do you have? Are you a spiritual person in that respect, or how does that connect with your your creative your creative vision? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am like crazy about this. I feel like the universe is totally in control of my life. Mm. And, you know, I grew up going to church and church camps and I actually grew up in Texas and I went to a Baptist church and I was never super drawn to just like hardcore Baptist religion. But I will say that I developed a spirituality from a very young age and going to church and and just being able to to meditate and and 
create this relationship with God. And, and I do believe in God. And I believe that God and the universe together are really controlling everything. And I have this close relationship with God and the universe. And I pray. And when I'm confused or in doubt, I definitely pray often um, mm-hmm. throughout the day, very often, actually. And I believe that I, I am given answers um, through things that happen. And it's really amazing, actually, um, if you pay attention to what's happening around you and to you, the messages that you can receive from that. And I do believe that that prayer and putting things out there is so important because um, whether you're just getting like a direct answer from God or you're like just making it known to yourself what you need, that's also important is like just the realization of what you need and what you want and what you're looking for. And sometimes saying it is so key, you know? And so, you know, it's, there's a lot of journaling that I do and a lot of writing. And then I kind of get to this thought where, okay, I need this, or I want this, or why is this happening? And I put out the questions and, and then I pay close attention to the answers. And, and I think that sometimes the answers come to me through somebody that reaches out and wants to do something with me or somebody that I meet at a coffee shop or, you know, something, something that I just see visually. I mean, like one time I, I was like trying to figure out if I was going to do this event or not because it just seemed really hard. Um, and this like truck pulled up in front of me and like had this message on it. And it was like, you need something about like event party rentals was mm-hmm. like, but it was like, it had this like slogan of like, you know, about like this, like have this amazing party. It was so ridiculous, but I was like, Oh my God, like I'm supposed to do this event. Like, you know, and it was like, literally just like the message was just like, I believe just delivered to me. And it was so weird, but that kind of stuff happens, you know, and you just really have to pay attention to what's going on. And if something doesn't feel right, something's very difficult. Like if there's a lease or a place that I want a store that I think I want to open and it just like is not happening and it, it seems like something that should be super easy it en- ends up being very difficult then I immediately stop and I'm like this isn't right like I'm not supposed to open the store right now even though I think that I want it it's not supposed to happen and um and I shift gears and and you know I listen to something that is is flowing and like you know, it's, it's just, it's so important to do that and to not try to fight something that's not working and to really believe that, you know, the universe is in control. And it's also really important because the fashion world can be super stressful. And, um, you know, a lot of times you can get depressed if something's not working or, or tired or whatever. And it's like, you know, I think that you have to really just focus on, all of the amazing good things that are happening because there are good things happening always. So even though there's like these negative things that are happening, I just feel like that means that I'm supposed to shift the focus to the good things, you know? So like if like I sell to, let's say I sell this big order to Saks and then they end up not liking it or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but then I've got this other store that's like killing it with the same product. Like, but they're selling out. Like I just need to shift that there, you know, or like whatever, like there's, or like a music festival that I want to do. I want to be involved in it and they're just like not having it. 
But then there's the, so then it shifts to this other music festival that actually ends up being better for us in the end. Yeah. You know, and like just realizing that that's the universe. Yeah. And I really believe that. And so that just makes me feel comforted when things seem stressful as I know that the right thing really is going to happen if I just pay close attention. Yeah. So it's a bit of surrendering to the universe and what it's got in store. Totally. Like r- major surrender, I would say. Yeah. So do you do you have a distinction? Do you do you think God and the universe are kind of the same thing or do you have a distinction between the two? Um, I would say that I think they're the same thing. I would say that God and the universe are the same thing for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like a, it's the higher power that exists, but right. we can't really explain it. Right. It's like, yeah. And you don't even really have to have like a certain name for it. I'm super open-minded with all that. I'm like, you know, as long as you understand that this is being controlled by somebody else, or a power, you know, then, then that's just like super important to understand. If, if you think that you're controlling everything, then <laughs> yeah, I mean, from what I've learned, that's a bad way to go. You know, yeah. it's more like, okay, like this is happening and how do I fit into this picture? And really how can I use that, you know, to create something that I also really believe in, creating a positive experience for the world and making a positive difference. And that's another big thing for me is like that gives me a lot of satisfaction doing something positive. And Mm -hmm. so when I see other people come to me and tell me that I'm inspiring them or like a lot of young girls lately have been reaching out and telling me that I've inspired them to do what they want to do and start their own business and stuff like that. And like, that makes me feel better than selling hoodies, you know? And like when I walk into my factory and I see a hundred people sewing clothes that I gave jobs to, that I'm paying for their children, you know, to go to school, I'm like, and and they look at me and they smile and they're not just making $3 t-shirts, they're doing crafty work, you know? And, And even my sewers have told me before, like they love working for me because it's like art. And so like, I believe that I'm having a positive impact on all of those people's lives. And I I give them a great environment to work in, which I will say in LA, there's not a lot of great environments to work in. I mean, the, the, the shops that are making clothes, a lot of them are not, not very clean and they don't have air conditioning and whatever. And, you know, so like, I really believe that I'm like for my staff and my team, giving them a cool experience and, and I and and even employees that I've hired have become really good friends with each other. And and when I see like two girls that work for me right now, they didn't know each other a couple of years ago and now they're literally best friends. I'm like, that makes me feel amazing. Like yeah. that's the kind of stuff. And I'm like, Aviator Nation is the reason these two girls have become best friends, you know? And and that's like all of those things I feel like that's like my mission, you know, is like, is like really bringing this like positive experience to people's lives through other, through different ways. And, and the clothes is just something for fun on top of that, 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 you know, creates, you know, everything obviously happens because of the clothes. So the clothes are super important, but the clothes is, is doing so much on a bigger picture. And hopefully people are learning that you can make things in America because I really believe and um, making clothes in America is so important. And so anyway, I, I think that the universe, listening to the universe, and then also, you know, I, I get so much out of the fact that 
that I'm doing something that is having a positive impact on people. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Yeah. What would you say, I guess, personally, creatively has been one of your bigger struggles throughout your, your career? And how did you overcome it? Mm. There have been a few people. So basically, when I was getting started, I, I had a couple different experiences where I hired people to make clothes that ended up kind of totally screwing me over. And wow. and yeah, and, and the thing is, there have been times where, I mean, obviously over the, the course of 13 years, you know, I've gone through hiring different people to help me with the clothes. And unfortunately, I have had some people that have not been good, that have stolen from me and oh, wow. and taken a big deposit of money and like disappeared. And and that stuff happens like it happens more than, you know, yeah. and um, and it's scary. And at the one time specifically, I was at a stage where I had a lot of big orders from that I needed to fill. And I hired this new group of people to help me. And I gave them like 35 grand and they literally disappeared. And I was like kind of screwed because I didn't have, you know, we were really like, I mean, you know, you make the money and then you use that to put back into the clothes and stuff. And, and it was a moment where I was just so confused and I was just like, whoa, this is like, this is crazy. Like, I feel like I'm on the right path. And, and this is like a huge thing setting me back. And so um, it, we took a big, we took a little bit of a stumble because we weren't able to deliver that season on time. And I had to call in a lot of favors from smaller people that had done stuff for me. And and in the end of the day, I was able to keep going. And, and what I learned from that experience was that I needed to have my own factory. Mm. Um, I realized that I couldn't really trust a lot of people out there. And um, I became a little bit harder in the trust zone, you know, and and I just said, you know, like I just have to figure out how to have my own factory because, and there was also a time where I found out my workers. So basically if you're, a, if you, if you hire a contractor to make clothes and he is not treating his workers properly, you are responsible for those workers Mm -hmm. because they're making the clothes that you're selling, which I didn't realize you would think if you hire a contractor and and like they're not paying their people right or whatever, then it's the contractor's fault. But no, the people can come to you. And so I, I got a couple people like that, like, you know, basically were trying to sue me for like not being paid properly or whatever. And I was like, what? My workers aren't being paid properly. And so, so those two things, like one person ran off with a huge deposit and then this other guy like wasn't paying his workers right. And, and I just hated that. I was like the, you know, like the people that are making my clothes, even though they're not my employees, I still wanted them to be paid properly. And I was paying the contractor. He just wasn't paying them. And so at that point I just decided I had to figure out my own factory and I did that. And, and that was a game changer for me. It was a big investment. I had to buy a lot of machines and workman's comp and all the insurance and everything like put me like way under but it was like definitely the way to go. Like once those people came on board, I mean, I still have people work for me today that have been with me, you know, that our first factory was, that was probably like seven years ago or so. Yeah. Um, and, and now it's like, you know, they do even better of better work and, and they understand the product and yeah. we have a better relationship and, and I know their families sometimes and whatever. And, it's cool. And, and having our own factory is definitely the way to go. And it kind of forced me into that. But 
there were a couple times that were pretty big Ooh, hiccups. Wow. Yeah. And then I've had product that, you know, I've, that has, has been super challenging mm-hmm. to make. And, um, I would say the outerwear has probably been the most challenging uh-huh. because a lot of the materials and stuff just aren't here because nobody really makes outerwear in America. And so figuring out how to get the machines here to do, you know, insulation and, and the, like, you know, the puffy jackets that have the, like, you know, the lines on them, the quilting that's done for those jackets, you know, nobody does it here. And so I would have to like get a machine and, you know, do all these things to make it happen here. And I just kept being told, oh, you can't do that in America. You can't do it in America. And, And so anyway, that was a big challenge that I, I went through probably four different contractors that were going to help me do the outerwear because we couldn't really do it in-house because we were doing all knits and it's just different machines. And so I needed a small little factory to help me with the outerwear. And finally, I found someone that's awesome. But it, it was challenging to to develop the outerwear. And I was I really wanted to do it. And I, I still believe it's like just so amazing and I, I love the jackets I wear my jacket like every day and oh they're the best yeah they're so dope they're so <laughs> rad and and it was just time it was like I knew that I wanted to do it but literally like I, you can't even name like a brand doing clothes doing jackets in America it's just yeah. it doesn't exist yeah absolutely wow well what's Paige's big vision what's what's what do you see for you and for Aviator Nation Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I think that, you know, I'm at a place in my life where I am just really trying to use my time the best I can. I still have a lot of ideas every day and, and I'm just trying to stay really focused on what do I enjoy most in the company. There's a lot of great opportunities, but you can't take them all, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, the key things for me have always been the product is like, I feel that, you know, in any business, I feel like the product is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the team behind the product is the second most important thing. And so those are my two big focuses is, you know, continuing to make great product and to, to be innovative and, and develop fabrics and develop materials for these outerwear jackets and, um, and really, you know, do more amazing product and continue to mm-hmm. come out with cool gear. And then also just like really grow my team and, and um, be, I'm extremely picky about who I hire. I really want to have this amazing family of people. We have an awesome family right now. And, and so as we grow, I want to keep it tight. I don't believe that teams should be too big. I think that that's where a lot of companies kind of fall apart. I think we're at a, a place where, you know, like we're at a place where a lot of companies fall apart, you know, and, and, and obviously we're, we're kind of beyond that at this point, like a couple years beyond that. I think that we're now really starting to show that we are going to survive. You know, yeah. we're growing in a time where people are really falling apart in retail, like you were saying. And, and I think that the team is a huge part of that, like having amazing people working with me mm-hmm. because it makes me be able to focus on the product and being really strategic in our collaborations and making the right decisions rather than just have to damage control all the time, you know, yeah. because a lot of company owners have to damage control all the time because there's always things going wrong. And if you have an awesome team, then they're supporting you. And so you're not, you're not just, you know, 
handling problems, you're more handling the future. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure I have a good team so that I can make the right decisions for the future. And, and I think the right decisions are, you know, opening a few more stores and key areas. I think that the stores are really important. I love that like customers are able to have uh, a store in their community and, and get involved in the brand. And yeah. so there are a few more communities that I'm anxious to, to go into and not hundreds of stores. I'd, I never want to be that big. I mean, I like, I think that the market is unique and my customer is unique and, and I, I think that Aviator Nation will stay, you know, relatively small. Yeah. I think it needs to be in really specific places and keep it really cozy and, and keep it tight and just really continue to make the product awesome. I think that uh, the jackets um, have gotten people excited that are my customers. And so I want to make some more cool jackets yeah. and Maybe some. I'm working on some snow, some snow gear like snowboard pants and and jackets that they can wear, you know, in like big storms. And and I'm getting into like the whole kind of just outdoor technical part of the lifestyle because a lot of my customers are, you know, super outdoorsy and they need the technical materials also. And I, I do think that there's a lot of great brands out there making tech gear, but I don't think that it really has the style and the fashion element. Yep. I see a lot of black jackets and stuff and, and gear. And, you know, it's just like we add that fashion element to performance um, yeah. gear. And, and even the, the tech gear that I'm seeing that's out right now, it's like, I want to make it even better, you know, like, because I go buy like a jacket that I'm going to wear, like camping or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I want something that is super soft, that fits in your backpack, that has a little stretch, that's comfortable that, you know, like all these things. And, and, and I think that, you know, zeroing in on like all the elements and I want it to be the person's favorite jacket, you know, and. And so kind of beyond just the sweats, keeping the sweats obviously great and new fits and new fabrics and colors all the time, but now really getting into even more kind of performance gear. Yeah. Love it. So what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration? Um, I think that that means uh, live in a way that like inspires other people and also that you continue to stay inspired. You know, I think that if I ever feel like I'm not inspired, then I need to like break away. And sometimes I do break away. Like sometimes I try to take a trip once a year and just totally remove myself from all digital media, Mm -hmm. email, Instagram, all of it. And that's a lot of times when I find a lot of inspiration. So I think constantly be inspired and constantly try to inspire. Amazing. Love it. And where can people find you, follow you and all that good stuff on the, on speaking of the interwebs? (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. Um, It's Aviator Nation. So aviatornation.com is our website. Our handle is at Aviator Nation on Instagram Facebook, Twitter, Aviator Nation is pretty easy to find, luckily, because it's kind of a unique name. And then my personal Instagram, Paige Mykoski, is my name. And I'm trying to post more and be better about social media. I'm building a lot of cool stores right now. So if, if people are interested in watching me design and, and build stores and, and create new product and stuff then you can follow my personal Instagram also. Yeah, love it. Well, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you, Nick. It's been fun. Absolutely. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Neon Radio with Paige Mykoski. I hope you enjoyed it. If you could help us out by heading over to Apple Podcasts, leaving us a good review, uh, five-star review, if that is of your interest, of your liking, share it with your friends. You can share the URL, neonradio.com slash EP167. That's the short link. You can find the show notes there. Easy to link on social. Uh, appreciate the love of sharing. would love to hear your thoughts as well. Hit me up on Instagram at Nick Onkin. Our uh, podcast Instagram is at Neon Life. We have quotes and different, well, you'll see the latest episodes and also go over and sign up for the newsletter that will will serve you up some free content. You can take the quiz. It's neonlife.com slash quiz. Quick 10 questions will serve you up some free content to help you out with your creative journey. With that, time it is. Let's go out time to go out and create your life be creating every small moment and we'll see you next time Bye.